Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Value Nigeria Podcast. Hope your week has been bright and productive. How has your investing week been? Um, it's been quite an eventful week in the landscape of the world geopolitically and, you know, with the unrest going on in Ukraine, with um, Russia and all the likes. Um, our prayers go to the people in Ukraine. Um, I hope you are all keeping safe and... Um, we pray for a quick resolution to hostilities and for normalcy to reign. Um, last week on the podcast, we had quite an eventful discussion with um, a guest on the on the show. It was received quite well and quite widely. Thank you very much for all the feedback and for all the wonderful responses that we got on social media. This week, I'm excited to bring another episode um, of the podcast to everybody listening. Um, I have another guest on the show today. My guest today is a friend who I met on social media. Um, It it was an investment forum, and I think there was a post. I commented on that post, and he commented as well. And from his comment, I could see his depth of knowledge uh, about investing and about the, the academic side of investing. And that, that sparked the start of a friendship which has blossomed over the past couple of months. My guest today is well studied and um, he's worked in various, in various aspects of investing as you'll get to hear in the course of the podcast. Um, he's had an internship program with the Financial Derivatives Company where he worked closely with um, the team there. He's also worked in investment banking with um, the investment banking arm of um, Stanbic IBTC. Uh, he's very knowledgeable and I, I do hope that you pick nuggets uh, even from this quite academic discussion that we have that definitely can be applied to everyday investing. My guest on the show today is Mr. Mohammed Musa. Um, do enjoy our discussion. So welcome to Value Nigeria podcast this evening. Um, as I said earlier, I have um, Mr. Mohammed Musa, a guest on the show tonight. He's a good friend of mine. He's someone I've known for a few, a couple of months, and in that in that space of time, I've been really impressed by his process and by his depth of knowledge. And I'm hoping to share that with everyone. Or I'm hoping he shares that with everyone listening today. Um, so, Mohammed, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us on the show this evening. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> All right, perfect. As I always say, um, everybody approaches the subject of finance and investing through the lens of their past experiences, their upbringing, their education, their profession they're, they're, they're engaged in. And um, it's for us to understand the perspective of a person. I think it's important that we see that lens and you know try to understand that. Um, in that light or in that vein, is there any chance you can just tell us a little bit about your background, your formative years, your educational background, and your professional background? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, it's funny. Whatever people ask about my formative years, I'm never really sure where exactly to start. <laughs> I think maybe because it's been, it's been changing recently. I feel like before I would talk a lot about uh, maybe secondary school and uh, things like that. And university didn't really feel like my formative years, but I guess even now that's been a few years. Um, I would say the formative years were fairly normal. Uh, Went to a normal secondary school, did a lot of science, math, 
um, economics. I think that's where really everything began. I did really well in uh, economics at the GCSE level. Um, and so when I was going uh, to do my IB diploma, I did high level economics. And I think that was where my interest in, uh, in, in finance kind of began from an interest in um, economics. And I guess now eight years ago, I worked at Financial Derivatives with uh, Mr. Bismarck Rwane. And that's where I had my first exposure to the equity research team. And I guess that's where my investing journey would have began some eight odd years ago. Or six, six odd years, maybe. All right, perfect. Um, and with, with your professional background, have you only worked with um, um, financial derivatives or have you spread your tentacles in other fields or with other corporate bodies? Yeah, so they did a lot more um, macroeconomic research. A lot of the work I did there was, you know, like forecasting inflation, uh, calculating uh, the CPI. We would go into the field and get data. Um, and most of the work was kind of centered on that and was, was that kind of research. And with the little work that they did in the capital markets, I kind of got interested. I wanted to go a little bit deeper. And so I wanted to work as a proper investment bank. And when I got there, I happened to get stuck in equity research at the beginning, which I would say is, I mean, I think I was right to want to, to, to have wanted investment banking at the time um, because it, it's a really different perspective that um, you build working um, in investment banking as opposed to equity research because you actually work closely with the companies and you understand when, why, and how exactly they raise capital, which, which you don't get in equity research. But equity research, I think, there at Chapel Hill Denham is where I got very interested in the stock market. Well, it's interesting how that professional background seems to have blended in quite nicely. You know, the foundation of equity research, how to research, how to, you know, value and how to build a thesis for a company, you know, and, you know, build conviction. And then marrying that with fundraising, with, with investment banking. How has that influenced or how has that shaped your investing style? Um, I think I definitely use aspects from all of my professional history. I generally, well, I would say that having done economic research and having worked at a firm that publishes research, economic research and economic data and having it at certain times authored some of those articles and seeing what actually goes behind it, I know enough to know that I shouldn't base investment decisions off economic predictions. Like the only time you could really gain value from an economic prediction is not only being right, it's being right when everyone is wrong, which is just so rare in economics. So it, I, I think the few people in the world who um, can predict what's happening with global economies can certainly make a lot of money, but I don't think I need to do anything crazy like that. You've just raised a very, very important point there. And it's something that Warren Buffett, who is somebody I kind of like, um, 
he's actually had that same position, which is that forget the macroeconomics, forget the inflation, forget all those other things. Just com- com- concentrate on the micro, on the company itself that you are, you are interested in and buy in in a phased manner. And you've just re-echoed that point, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Honestly, it might start to seem like everything I say is very pessimistic, but also, again, having worked in equity research and seeing what gets put out. I mean, I would say it's a somewhat, it's, it's a useful style of, um, or it's a useful skill to learn still and being able to generate an investment thesis from start to finish. There are very few places that you can learn that early on in your career outside of um, equity research. Wow, amazing. All right, um, we'll just go ahead into the meat of our discussion. Now, there, there are various schools of thoughts when it comes to investing. There's the, 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 the growth, growth investing, dividend investing, uh, momentum investing, and all, all, all whatnot. Is there any particular one of all these investing styles that appeals to you or that suits your personality and why? I mean, as, as I'm, I'm a very big value investor. Um, I think most people, when they start out investing, will have some exposure to value. And even in a lot of the value books, I've, I've seen this phrase one way or the other. It's kind of like when you find out about value investing, it's something that you kind of just either get or you don't. Because for me, as I saw it, as it has been explained to me, it seems like the only reliable way that you could possibly make money in investing. It, and it's, it's deceptively simple, I guess I would say, is to just buy something for less than it's worth. I think that gets pirated a lot, but being able to do it consistently and reliably, I think should, should generate outsized returns over time. Thank, thank, thank you very much for, for that, because in, in that one statement, you've let us know what your perspective of value investing actually is. I, I hear this quite a lot. A lot of people say, oh, yes, I'm a value guy. I'm a value investor. Everybody bandies that term around. But how many people really understand what value investing actually is and how many people stick to the principles of this? So I'm glad you've raised that up. Um you, you've raised something quite important where you talked about, you know, value investing being the art of buying something for less than it's actually worth. And I guess at a point we'll talk about how to determine or how or we'll talk about your process for determining what things are worth. But before we get into that, um, can you walk us through your process of investment, like from idea generation to researching the, the company to eventually come into either a decision to buy or to ignore that company? What's your process like? Hmm. You know, my, my process has been evolving a lot. Um, and it really depends on, on what it is. For idea generation, I mean, it could come from anywhere. Nowadays, I, I'm doing a lot of screening in public markets. I'm doing a lot of screening in... Uh, like all across West Africa, but I'll be doing for the most part valuation screens. Um, I think one of one of the companies we had a chat about a few weeks ago um, in uh, uh, was a company that I had actually screened that was trading below net cash 
So, you know, sometimes you just put out some screens like that um, and see what pops up. Other times it could be a news article uh, from, I'm sure, I, I'm sure as everyone else from my broker, I get emails in the morning or news articles that have to do with different businesses. I could then from there, you know, say, okay, this could be interesting. Or maybe it's news on the macroeconomy. I could say, oh, this could be interesting for this industry. What companies could benefit from this new thing that's happening? Um, and from there, I usually just like to pick um, the most recent annual reports and just read it from start to finish. And I think a lot of the times people kind of just skip through uh, all the things that seem like fluff and they try to just go straight to the statements. I think it's really important to read the director's reports, read what the managers are saying, and just kind of get a feel for the business. And like that first read through, I'm not really trying to look for anything crazy. I'm just trying to understand really what they do, how do they make money, um, and how much of it are they making, if they're making any at all. And at this stage, I, I could even be looking for videos of their offices. I sometimes like to be able to really visualize um, the company. And then through that, I'll, I'll then get to the statements and you, know, you just read through, take some notes if anything interesting pops out. And then by the time you read through the annotations to the statements, you would have probably answered about 90 to 95% of your question. I think at that point, you honestly will have a feeling for how much the business is worth but if you don't then I kind of get into the, the traditional valuation process and I'll build out a model although at this point I, I feel as though I have templates that I can adapt very very quickly to get a rough estimate no I mean I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to ramble on and on and on and on because uh, the process is quite long but I think that's kind of where I get to the point of okay I'm going to do evaluation and that's, I mean, that's pretty much the last step on deciding whether or not, whether or not you're going to die. All right, perfect, perfect. Um, I, I forgot, I, I forget who actually said this, but it's probably one of one of my mentors, somebody, one of the big value investors. He said that if you can bring yourself to read an annual report from start to finish, you've immediately put yourself in the top two, three percent of investors in the market. It's it's a wonder how many people actually do investing without knowing what they are investing in, without reading the annual reports or understanding the company, just as you have said. Yeah, and it's it. I, I think that is probably a true statement. I've I've had people, people who work in the investment business, even, and who've read some of my work on a company and ask, you know, how did you find out this information or that information. And I mean, it's it's stuff that is very obviously in in the in the annual in the annual reports in the financial statements or in the notes to the financial statements, which most people tend to just gloss over. But that's where you find the most the more interesting things about businesses. Right. Perfect. Perfect. Um, now I'll, I'll just go back to where we left off with you know what value investing in is and buying things for buying companies for less than they are worth. Um, I know this is a, an audio only podcast and I know it's very difficult when we come to um, talking numbers or crunching numbers on an audio only podcast. Um, is there any chance you can just walk us through your process of um, determining the value of companies 
Okay, I mean, I'll try to, I'll try to keep it as high level as possible, while uh, still, I think, saying something meaningful for for people that already have a deeper understanding of valuation. So, I mean, I think at the core of it, it's important to think about what are you trying to do. Um, for me, 90% of the time, if I'm doing evaluation, I'm trying to figure out the intrinsic value um, of, of the security. So a stock, for example. In that case, what I want to figure out is how much money over the lifetime of this asset is it going to generate for me? And then I now want to figure out, okay, how much is that money worth to me today? So you can kind of break it down into uh, two steps or two broad steps, which is one roughly figuring out over the lifetime of this asset, how much money is it going to generate? Now, businesses are supposed to operate forever, so you can't ever hope to predict the cash flows um, forever, but you can pick a short forecast period, three to five years, and you know maybe even use an average for its uh, uh, free cash flow growth over that period. And then figuring out how much money or how much that money is worth to you today is then a function of figuring out the discounts rates. I think learning how to actually do it and why things are the way they are is very, very important. Um, but you should also just roughly know, I think most people who don't work in investment business or don't work in finance, like wouldn't be able to calculate the discount rates because they probably wouldn't be able to calculate the cost of equity. But I think people know intuitively, like you ask them, if you ask anybody on the streets, how much money or like how much do you need to make per year? What percentage per year to make it worth it to do business in Nigeria or in Africa? And most people will tell you a number that's roughly somewhere around 20%, which if you do calculate the cost of equity, it's always somewhere around 20% for most companies in Nigeria today. All right. Thank, thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much, sir. It's quite difficult talking about these things, um, especially even even if it were a video podcast, it's quite difficult. It's a very technical thing that I advise you know people to take their time to at least learn the basics, know how to do it in the basic form. So I, w- I was going to say that I do think it is important because like, if you understand how to do evaluation and um, you know, what's a discount rate is and what is a high discount rate versus a low discount rate and in what scenarios that would happen, whether or not it's good for, because that would also let you know whether or not it's good for a business to have debt or to not have any debt at all, because a lot of the times debt should be cheaper than equity um, in your capital structure. So you can look at also other ways that companies could unlock value in the future that may not be um, priced in. And I think the biggest thing for me, though, is understanding how ratios translate to implied discount rates and um, revenue growth rates. So it's like a company is trading now at five times earnings or, you know, like a eight times forward price earnings multiple. So you can then 
translates that into, oh, like that saying, like that is essentially implying, because you'd assume that the market has the same discount rates anyways. So then you'd assume that it's that's implying maybe a 10% or a 15% five-year free cash flow growth rates, which depending on the company could be realistic or unrealistic. Um, those are the ways you can really spot mispricings. But I think looking at a company and saying, oh, it's P ratio today versus it's P ratio last month or a year ago or whatever, I don't think that really tells you anything. Very true. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. One thing I've known about good investors is that they are, they are quite flexible in their thinking. They are opening, open to learning new things. They are open to unlearning things. They are open to changing their mind uh, based on new information that they get. What have you changed your mind about with regards to investing uh, in the past, say, one year? So, I mean, in the past year, uh, what have I changed my mind about? You know, I'm, I'm somewhat of a value purist. I would say, um, but I think I've started to see that there are people who can successfully do growth investing. Um, I think in the past year, I've also accepted that there probably is something useful about cryptocurrency, not necessarily in an investment portfolio, but uh, other good uses for it. Um, so I've changed, changed my perspective from it had no good uses at all to, I think there are some, but I still don't think it should be an investment. Um, I think I also would, I, in the past as a value purist, I would have shunned technical analysis, but I think that there is some use for it for people who are execution traders, but in terms of reliably making money from it i don't think it's possible but in terms of for good execution of certain kinds of trades i think it does have some good uses okay thank thank you very much for that um now uh, there's this argument that never seems to go away with regards um people investing on the nigerian stock exchange or diversifying to invest in foreign equities maybe in the american markets um, the, the dangers of investing in Nigeria or the downsides could include the currency risk, you know, and all these risks that are attached. I know you have some interesting yeah. thoughts, yeah, with regards to what drives inflation and the devaluation of Naira and the differential inflation between Nigeria and America. Can you just share a little, some few thoughts about um, investing in Nigeria versus investing in foreign markets and the risks that one should take cognizance of in doing this most definitely so yeah the the argument is somewhat constant about is it really ever profitable to invest in nigeria i mean now for naira investments i think everybody says that oh inflation should be the only number that you think about which is somewhat true, but I think the reason why that's a flawed argument is that devaluation is easier for people to understand, partially because the US dollar is more stable. Uh, so 
$1,000 last year is probably buying almost the same amount of stuff as $1,000 this year. So it's easier to use it as, to use the valuation as a benchmark for the loss in purchasing power, even though the loss in purchasing power from inflation is a lot more. With inflation at 15 or so percent, I think is what we're at. If you have a millionaire, if you had a millionaire on February 16th, 2021, that millionaire today should be worth about 850,000. Also, but it's hard for people to then think of what that 800 and what that 850,000 actually means, um, which is why devaluation is an easier is an easier benchmark of oh my $1,000, I could get $1,000 with 350K a few years ago, but now I need 500K for the same $1,000 and the $1,000 buys roughly the same amount of stuff. Um, but again, like I said, it's a flawed argument because it's the same thing. Um, the actual thing driving it is the difference in inflation between Nigeria and the United States, which is roughly about 10% per year. So if you're concerned about beating uh, devaluation, then you really just need to beat the hurdle of 10% per year. So if you're a foreign investor trying to invest in Nigeria, your hurdle is basically 10% a year, which I think you can actually get from, um, which I think you can actually get from government bonds. However, that is then a 0% real return. So you want to be above 10%, but that's essentially a hurdle. As an Nigerian investing in Naira, you should be trying to beat 15, which I think most people can tell you whether or not they're compounding at 15% a year nowadays. Uh, the market itself, I think we calculated to be 7% or so uh, over the last decade. So there's certainly something wrong. When, um, when a market's returns are not as expected, then usually it means that there's something wrong with the pricing, which is uh, something I, I go into bigger detail in one of the reports I'm writing. But there, there is a mispricing. I think most people can agree. And I think there's a lot of articles out there um, about how undervalued our equities markets are compared to our peers and compared to everywhere else in the rest of the world. And it's partially because of reasons like this and, and uh, the mispricings that have happened in our markets because of the inflation and devaluation factors. Have you seen what Academy Press has been doing now the last few days? It's, it's no, I mean, yes, the thing, right? I saw it then and I said that these companies are trading at less than 50% of their liquidation value. And this is a very conservative liquidation value whereby, you know, I made the plant account zero. So I said that all their PPNE is zero. I said for their inventory in this liquidation, they will only be able to convert, uh, I think I said maybe 75% of it to cash, you know, and just their total, the rest of their current assets, I said also could be converted to cash at a rate of 50%. So really I'm disregarding, Quite a uh, lot. Yeah. I'm disregarding a lot of assets to generate that liquidation value. And it was trading at 50% below yeah. that. I mean, or you look at, or you look at a company like, like DN Mayer that, you know, paid, that, that paid a dividend 
that was about three times higher than, than, share price. than the share price. <laughs> <laughs> and the market didn't move a muscle, didn't flinch. Obviously, if you're lucky enough and you can build up a position before anybody notices, yeah. then you'll make tons of money. But I mean, I started out in the markets doing very crazy things like that because, I mean, you can also, the, the issue is that you can also move the price True. of... Oh, you, you can move the market for these securities with about 50,000 naira, yeah, usually because if it's a 50 couple stock and you need a hundred thousand units, you know, 50k will 50k will move the price. Um, but you can make a lot of money there because no one is looking at these companies, nobody is going to trade them for weeks and weeks and weeks, but one day somebody will, yeah. and yeah. that's because somebody is trying to accumulate a big position. Uh, uh, slowly, you can even buy really the entirety of these companies for not that much money with with what their implied market capitalization is. Dan Mayer was trading at a market capitalization of like three hundred million naira when he had two billion naira in cash, <laughs> in, in cash. actual just wow. in in actual just cash. So things things like that exist if yeah. if you look close enough. The, the market is just grossly undervalued, and I. I... I strongly do not know what would act as a catalyst or if the market or if the the price will eventually catch up with value, but generally the market is quite undervalued. Oh, I think it I, I, I think I think that price always one way or the other catches up with value. Um it's only a matter of time. I think there's going to be lots of strange things that are going to happen. I think we're in a very strange position having an undervalued equities market mm-hmm. in a time where Asset prices all around the world are extremely elevated. Yeah. U.S. I mean, I'm uh, asset prices right now. Equities in the U.S. unbelievably high. I mean, they've had they've had some corrections in the last few weeks, but I mean, for me, it's still at a sure. unbelievably elevated level. Um, there's been far too much cheap money that's uh, that's going to be going elsewhere. You would think. You would think, okay, what's what's wh- how then could that really affect us? With interest rates going up, if anything, that would be more money being pulled towards. Um, that would be more money being pulled towards uh, the the well pulled out of Nigeria and being pulled towards the, the the U.S. market. But eventually, it gets to a point that someone is going to be looking for yield because even though sure the uh, the yield on bonds will be higher, it's going to cause asset prices everywhere to crash. And that means that people who are holding these existing assets, their portfolios are going to be down and they're going to be looking for somewhere else. And again, the prices on our securities, I really don't think can drop any lower. You know, I mean, you're still talking about Zenith Bank at three, four, five times earnings, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of just the new normal. And again, it's either foreign investors will never come back to equities markets, but I think these things are cyclical. There was a time where, you know, 60% of the trades on our markets, not that long ago, mind you, 60% of the trades on our markets were, were from foreign investors. And obviously that has gone down significantly in the last few years, but uh, again, markets are markets are cyclical. Soon enough, uh, soon enough, the money will return. All right, perfect. Um, 
For the average individual investors, the average Nigerian out there on the streets who wants to invest in equities, what are the considerations that you feel this person should have in mind as they go ahead to do this? It's very hard, honestly. I don't know if I could even recommend an average individual investor to to invest in the Nigerian equities markets and if it would be a good investment for them. I think, obviously, there's no one-size-fits-all. I think, obviously, for those who are looking for dividends, there are those companies out there that pay the good dividends. But even then, I don't think, I think the highest yield, and correct me if I'm wrong, the highest yield on the market must be maybe 12 or 13%. Yep, thereabouts. Or somewhere somewhere around there, you know, which which for dividends is good, but overall, if you're not going to have any capital appreciation at all, it's it, it, it's not it's not that enticing. Um, I think it's hard for people who cannot, even on a very basic level, analyze what's a good business and what's not a good business. Um, I think if you have no skills whatsoever, you're probably better off in some sort of uh, fixed income. Uh, fund. Yeah, absolutely correct. I think we, we've had this discussion some time ago where we talked about, you know, in the past decade or in the past probably two decades that the investor who did fixed income only, just bought government securities, did much, much better than someone who bought the index or, yeah, someone who bought the Nigerian Stock Exchange Index. Um, it's it's amazing how oh, yes. skilled... It how, wouldn't even yeah, be close. How skilled our data is... Um, because ideally you expect um, government security or government fixed income securities from the government to yield lower returns as compared to the equity market just due to the fact that one is risk-free and one is relatively you know, risk-prone. It's it's amazing how skilled our dat- the data from our market is. So, okay, that's great because you can see that is what led me down the rabbit hole of why I think there's something very sinister going on in the markets. I mean, maybe not sinister, but um, there is something extremely strange because, again, it's very, very intuitive, right? Um, For investors to bear an increased amount of risk, they need to be offered the prospect of higher returns. I'm not saying that higher risk is higher returns, no, because if riskier investments provided higher returns consistently, then they wouldn't be riskier. But they need to provide the prospect of higher returns, right? So with government bonds, they tell you that it's 5% or 6%, and that's it. That's how much you get. It's not going to be any higher. It could be a little lower, but the government is also not going to default. That's what you get. Okay, well, if I can get a guaranteed 5%, and then a company comes to me, some brand new company that's just trying to raise some money, how much would they have to offer me to raise money from me, right? Certainly, it would have to be a lot higher than 5%. So the price, if, if they offered, so that's the thing, right? If the company itself also offered its shares at 5%, what would happen is that the price of it would fall because it would, it would, it would get sold if it was able to be traded on public markets. 
and the price of it would fall such that the value would be roughly the same or that the returns would then compensate for the rest. So you then have a situation where government bonds are returning more than equities. Surely that can't be right. As we begin to round off with this um, in this discussion, with, with all what we've discussed, with all what we've talked about, what's your takeaway for the average individual investor out there? Is it ditch the markets and you know concentrate on fixed income securities or do a mix of both? Or what would you advise? My advice would be that if you can just show a little bit of interest, just that little bit of interest that you can do really well. I don't think it's very hard to figure out what a good business is or isn't. I think if you just have maybe a super busy, there are some people in professions where they're too busy uh, to spend any amount of time um, looking at companies. But I think that if you can spend a little bit of, uh, a little bit of time uh, looking at companies, reading and understanding about them and how they make money, then yes, there is a lot of value um, in the public markets. But I think if not, if you want a hands-off approach, then uh, you kind of just have to be okay with market returns, which quite frankly are not great. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I, I, I totally agree with you. With I believe investing should probably be an all or none. If you've decided to invest your own money, then it's advisable for you to go all in, you know, um, go down that rabbit hole, get the knowledge and do it right. And if you know it will be a struggle for you to do this, then it's better you just stick to fixed income or you find the money manager, you pay them whatever their management fees are and you stick with whatever returns they get you, unfortunately. Um, doing this blindly yeah. or doing this without the requisite knowledge just means you are shooting yourself in the foot, literally. If, if there were any companies, as of all of the asset managers, if there were any of the companies that we knew were, you know, making huge returns year after year, um, I think something like that would bring, something like that would bring a lot more people into the market, which ultimately is what we need. We also need some new businesses to be listed. It's been an exciting chat with you, Mohammed. Thank you very much for your time today. Um, I know how difficult of it course. was to eke out the time, so thank you very much, sir. It, was, it wasn't really that hard, but I was very excited to do it. I hope we'll, we'll make our chats a little bit more frequent now. <laughs>